The aim of Black Mental Matters is to tell experiences with honesty. Therefore, some discussions may trigger an adverse reaction. If a discussion is beginning to upset you, we advise that you please stop listening and talk to your support team. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Black Mental Matters. I know it's been a little while. Shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to, but here we're back and we're black. And, uh, how you doing? It's Vince the Voice, having a good time. And uh, boy, it's such great uh, to be able to talk to you once again. And what a topic for this episode. Did you know that in the United States, only 6% of the 1.5 million faculty in degree granting post secondary institutions, basically colleges, is black? That's right, only 6%. You know, that's got to be an issue for those uh, teachers that are there when they're one of only or maybe the only. And then think what it also does to the students huh, who are at these uh, institutions. Of course, we're not talking about HBCUs. We're talking about those PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Those institutions, the Harvards, the Yales, and all those major institutions, not just Ivy League, but those major institutions. So there's a lot going on there. And so on this episode, we're gonna be talking to the the authors of a brand new book. The book is entitled We're Not Okay, Black Faculty Experiences and Higher Education Strategies. Well, they dig deep into that and work to start a dialogue to try to usher in some real change that can benefit black faculty, students, and institutions. So thank you for joining us. You're going to love it. Once again, we're not okay. And that's why we have Black Mental Matters. Once again, it's Black Mental Matters, your boy Vince the Voice, and of course your girl. There she is. It's Makiba Reed Johnson. Hey, Makiba. <laughs> Hey, Vince, the voice, Bailey. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Doing really good. Feeling good. Feeling better. Ribs are healing now. Thank you so much for all your thoughts and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, yeah, feeling feeling good. It's springtime and uh, we rocking and rolling. Black Mental Matters. Again, great uh, program with Shelly Ann. Didn't you like that with the myths and the uh, misconceptions as it relates to mental health? Powerful. That was an excellent podcast. Great information. Great information and, and straightening out some things and Hey, we got to even uh, another one uh, uh, right here, right now. I'm going to keep, I don't want to waste any time. It, uh, we have a couple of authors who are working in um, the, the higher education realm, and that's so much in the news these days. The book, I want everybody to pick this up. It's called uh, We're Not Okay, um, and it is focused on black faculty experiences and higher education strategies. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Dr. and Tia M. Allen and Justin T. Stewart. And the crowd goes crazy once again. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Welcome, Pam. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you for reaching out and uh, being a, a listener. You found uh, Black Mental Matters. And I mean, you you all are uh, on the front lines. And, and this book, again, talking about we're not okay. First of all, Justin, I'll start with you. Uh, tell us. Uh, uh, why this book even was written. We are not okay. Black faculty experiences and higher education strategies. So the book was written with a very simple message. And that was based off of conversations that uh, Antia and I were having. 
Um, she can give a little bit more information as it was based off the dissertation uh, that she was working on with some un- unknown or un- findings that she wasn't looking for. We had previously been working together dating back to 2018 with Alan Ivy Prep Consulting. And from that, she pitched an idea to me. And the more that we discussed about the book, when we were looking at uh, faculty in higher education and when we were looking at disparities when it came to racial relations, when it came to diversity, when it came to equity, inclusion, all of these things and even mental health, we saw a lot, of, a lot of parallels between experiences that even she was encountering and things that we were reading and research that we were finding and also seeing some similarities to my background. Um, I have worked in higher education, but I've worked a lot in uh, corporate banking as well. So we saw a lot of parallels when it came to those type of disparities and we decided no better opportunity than now to come together as we had done before and, you know, write a book about it. But um, as I said, Antia has, from her dissertation, is more so where I would say where the book was birthed. So I'll give the floor to you to give more background on that. Sure. So my dissertation focused on um, adult learning because I was working on my doctorate in adult learning and leadership. My focus was supposed to be um, just the approaches that returning uh, educators of returning adult students take. So do they change their approach if they're teaching adult students versus if they're teaching traditional age students? And from there, I found that their approach was impacted or influenced a lot by their race, their gender, their upbringing. And again, these weren't things that I was looking for. And, you know, when you have these types of findings that are so significant, you don't want to just let them kind of stay, stay there, you know, no one being able to actually view them um, apart from those who actually take the time to look at your dissertation, which I don't know how many people those are, but. um, (laughs) Read my dissertation. (laughs) It's only only what, 300 pages? Um, So so I was thinking, you know, maybe a journal article, but I felt like that wasn't going to be enough as far as like the audiences that I I know that we both wanted to reach. Um, And so now with having this book, we've already been able to reach beyond higher ed. You know, again, as as Justin pointed out, he's in banking, but, you know, we have people who are even independent DEI consultants who are able to use this book in their own work. You know, so I, I believe that, you know, this is giving it more of a platform than a journal article that would have just kind of been more for like graduate students or people who are already in the field to view. And so, uh, again, with higher education, and Justin, you said it, you know, that even including uh, mental health, I'm assuming then what you're saying is that uh, mental health is affected by being in these uh, scenarios, in these audiences, in these schools. Uh, how how so? Yeah, most definitely. And I think it just boils down to it's always just a conversation when we look at identity. And I think when you were one in a very limited pool mm. or being the one black person, I would say, in in a predominantly white college and university, which is our focal point for this book, um, you just, it's almost like you're continuously walking on eggshells because you're in the back of your mind, you know, that there's certain stereotypes, there's certain perspectives that are attributed to African-American males and African-American females. And you're trying your best to kind of contrast that. But at the same time, you still want to be yourself. You still want to have that ability to feel like you're being authentic or, you know, being true to yourself. But it's almost like a thing is you have to play the game if you want to continue to, you know, thrive, if you want to continue to have a job. So doing, dealing with all this, it just has a lot of, a lot of mental strain because you think of terms like code switching, you think of terms yes. like imposter syndrome. 
code switching, meaning, you know, you have to kind of change how you speak, change how you dress, yes. change how you wear your hairstyle. We've been hearing a lot of conversations about that, even recently with the Proud Act, where it's wild that we think that there is a bill passed where African-Americans will not be discriminated for how they wear their hair. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's great that it's happening, but it's wild that that's actually something that is happening. So when you think about that, you're, you're kind of having to put on put on this show, per se, before you even get in the classroom. Mm. When you're talking to your peers, when you're talking to your higher, when you're talking to your superiors, when you're talking to the students that, you know, question because maybe they have never seen a black teacher, you know, speak to in a way in which are you really supposed to be here? Mm. So when, I'm, when we're talking about like the mental health, you know, how does it really feel to be in an institution for five months, five years, 15 years and be here and feel like you're really forging a family, but you continuously still feel like you're a guest inside of a home. Wow. And on top of that, you've actually been laying a lot of bricks to the foundation when we talk about DEI work, but you're still considered a guest in your home. You never actually feel comfortable, no matter how much is asked of you, no matter how much you actually give to the university or the college that you're in, which, you know, as we mentioned, takes a major toll on a, on a mental uh, level. I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. And, and Dr. And, and Tia, I, I believe it was you that mentioned, um, I think I, 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 I heard this online, that you mentioned that when administrators in higher ed recruit black faculty, that they need to, as you put it, clean your house before you have <laughs> it over. And I love yes. that. So can you just kind of go into what you mean by that? Mm. <laughs> so they... <laughs> so when I think about how, you know, the, the recruitment process is all I feel like there's always an emphasis on that recruitment process. Right. What can we do to make it look like we really want you here mm. and we really need you here? And I think on the outside, it looks really nice. But then you get inside and you realize the place is a mess. Mm. So so in other words, they haven't prepared for you to be there. They want you to be there, but they have not prepared for you to stay. And as a result, Mm. many people don't stay because how can you get comfortable in what's basically in it for yourself with chaos? Mm. Um, And it kind of goes back to. Uh, what Justin pointed out, you are entering a space where many times you are one of very few. And so while you're there, we're going to make you do everything. Oh, we have a committee over here. We need you to be on it. We have a committee over here. We need you to be on it. And I mean, if there's only one of you, if there's only three of you, you you can only stretch with so many different ways, right? So um, you're being pulled in these different directions. So how can I get comfortable here? And also you have all these people many times, and I hate to say it, who really shouldn't still be there, who are creating a culture or maintaining a culture that makes it not psychological logically safe for me as a black faculty member. So that's that's really the mess that I speak of. And especially like knowing that there, there tend to not be policies and consequences connected to some of those experiences that black faculty have. You know, so if I make that complaint or I say that this issue came up, what then happens? Usually nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then I have to make a choice. Do I stay here 
and deal with this, deal with the stress, deal with the burnout because I'm being pulled in several different directions. But I want to make tenure, so I have to. So I feel like I have to say yes to everything. Um, or do I just leave? And many times we leave, we leave without a trace. We leave quietly. We don't tell anybody why we're leaving. We just go. You know, and many times that leaving is for our own mental well-being. It's like this is the only way that I can feel better about um, for myself is to leave this situation. I know that's got to be, uh, you know, because true teachers instructors, uh, educators, I mean, really want to share and and help people. And so when this kind of scenario that you guys are talking about uh, comes up, mm-hmm. it, it's got to be devastating. This is what I wanted to do all my life. And then I get there, mm-hmm. get to the point, And like you say, you're, you're a guest in your own home. It's like, what? Or mm-hmm. unwelcome guest almost. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, as in the news these days, uh, which has been dominating, is this whole thing about uh, with critical race theory. Does that play some part in because now as a black faculty member, uh, not only do you have to code switch and all these things, but now you can't even talk about your own history. That's got to be uh, pretty darn interesting. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And especially when you I teach psychology. So much of many of the divisive concepts that are not supposed to be addressed are the are concepts that they need to be tested on. They need to have discussions around. They need to master before they left my class. So we have to talk about discrimination. We have to talk about not just racism, sexism, you know, um, ageism, but heterosexism. Uh-oh. But how can we have those conversations if I might have a student who says, well, that made me feel uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I want you to be uncomfortable. Mm. Mm-hmm. I want you to be uncomfortable. We talk about in um, one thing that I studied was transformative learning, which is mm. you have you have to have that discomfort in order to have yes. growth. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So if I don't make you uncomfortable, then you're not growing. And if you're not going to grow in college, when is that going to happen? Mm. There you go. No, that's, I think that's key because to what I was mentioning before about stripping identity. There's a world that exists outside of these college these college rooms outside of these university walls. And if we're actually trying to prepare students for the world that's outside of it, how we're really doing them a disservice. Yes. And we're kind of putting a muzzle on the mouths of faculty because it's almost a, it's almost a level of obedience. Uh, if you want to be here, you kind of have to work under my rules, under my constraints. And you brought me in here to what Auntie was mentioning. You, I thought that you brought me here under my qualifications. I thought that you brought me here under my experience. You brought me in here, in my mind, under the pretense of me being able to make a difference. But now with the introduction or this, we'll say confusion, that resulted in like these debates about critical race theory, we now have an environment where we're trying to continuously take steps back. We're trying to showcase history in a way in which it's almost revisionist or it's in a way where it's presenting a certain optics. Now, all of us that live in the world regularly know it's a little bit different, but when we think of our time in K through 12 versus our time in college, college is where we're supposed to get that real world experience. That's right. And now if we no longer have that opportunity in these college years to kind of develop ourselves, then, you know, we're going to continue to find ourselves repeating the same mistakes over and over again because 
we have issues like this where there's quote unquote uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. because some people are uncomfortable. We feel as though let's save these young minds from things that if we're all honest, they're going to find out about anyway. Once again, we're talking with uh, Justin T. Stewart and Dr. Antia M. Allen. They are the co-authors of We're Not Okay, Black Faculty Experiences and Higher Education Strategies. I didn't know that in the United States, only six percent. of the 1.5 million faculty and degree-granting post-secondary institutions is black. 6%. So that's like out of every 100, six black teachers. Good Lord. At college. You know what? Yeah, that that makes, that that brings me to the point of, and and I I wanted both Justin and and Antia to just kind of comment on this, that black students who attend predominantly white schools, particularly private schools, are are sort of under the guise of, you are privileged to be here. Uh, No parents telling them, we sent you here to get the best education you can get, so stop complaining. mm. And so I, I wanted to know, you know, do black faculty at these institutions especially in Ivy League, have those same issues of being hesitant to bring up these issues of concern because family and friends or even other colleagues make you feel hesitant to complain because, you know, you're ungrateful or you need to be, you know, to appreciate the fact that you were selected out of this big hiring pool and you were, you know, selected as select few of black faculty that are here on this campus. Does that play a part in the resistance to for a lot of black faculty to sometimes speak up? Absolutely. I mean, and I and I and I hate to say it and it shouldn't be this way, but you also think about those who may follow you, who you want to follow you, right? So you don't you don't want to come you think about that, you don't want to come in and kind of mess it up for the people yes. who, they, who they want who they may want to hire afterwards, right? You almost want you don't want to be the representative, but you almost have to be the representative. Wow, wow. And so that's why you do have to kind of like I mean, you're really playing politics in that situation. You're doing all the things that you need to do in order to make everybody happy and for them to keep you here, but for them to also hopefully hire more people that look like you. Mm. Right, right. Mm. And especially for faculty that are in the process of trying to gain tenure. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, I mean, that that must be a really fine line to, to sort of walk on where you're trying to not make waves, but you know that there are certain things on the campus that need to be addressed. Yeah. And then you the thing that is interesting is that there are so many people who will say, well, when I get tenure, I'm going to do this when I get tenure. But the but funny enough, once they get tenure, sometimes it's like, oh, well, now, look, I have my tenure. Let me just be quiet. I'm saving up for a boat. Get this new Cadillac. Shoe, I, right? <laughs> yeah, get something. But I, I think a, I think a great point that um, that Antia mentioned is this this idea of being the standard or you're 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 basically being propped to be the standard. It's an it's an unsworn role. You don't want it. But you know when you look at your peers, it's like when they when they look at me, my peers, or even those that work alongside me, whether it's black or whether it's faculty, or even if you take it to the executive level at any other industry, if I want, I don't want to be the only person up top. So I don't I don't want to ruffle too many feathers because oh. if I if I do this wrong, then it's almost like oh. We knew we shouldn't have brought him up here or mm. there's that, that closet conversation about, you know, we were right. As much as we may think that we're having a lot of progressive conversations, sometimes in the back of people's minds, there's a reason why there's such a 
thin spread of representation when we look at certain executive levels. So that's only that's you you can't help but to think that. So it's almost if I want to lift my brother up, if I want to lift my sister up, yes, there are things that I want to get done, but there's also strength in numbers. But then by as you guys mentioned, by the time you get to tenure, by the time you get to that quote unquote you pinnacle tired. of position, you, you tie it. There's yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm 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 already gassed out. It's like I'm I'm just really trying to to survive at this point. And it's almost a question of like, what am I willing to forego or what what am I willing to sacrifice for this? And, you know, unfortunately for some, that's as is the case with many people, because we all have lives. We all have people that we have to see, people that we have responsibilities for. That's just a real question that we have to deal with, whether it be monthly, yearly or every day when we wake up. We have to make sure that we're making the best decisions that way we can feed those that we care for. So, I mean, it's, it's understandable when you want to leave the charge, but then you get uncomfortable here and you just get comfortable. I think one of the, the greatest casualties in that is black students on, on predominantly white campuses are seeking out faculty that look like them. Mm-hmm. And because when you see that faculty member, you're like, oh, I'm going to sign up for, you know, Dr. So-and-so's class or Mr. So-and-so's class because he's black and he's cool. And, you know, he's one of the you know, X number of faculty that are here. And then you're in the space with that faculty member. And because that faculty member is not getting support and affirmation, they can't give it to the student either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. What, so, what is that so, saying? You can't pour from an empty. That's right. You, you cannot yeah. pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's a casualty of all of this. And I think that, you know, as we talk more and more about this, I know you guys uh, wrote this, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, about the education and higher education uh, industry. But it really does apply just to about everything here in America. I mean, even even if you were trying to move up the ladder in McDonald's, uh, you're faced with some of these same Mm -hmm. things. How you wear your hair or how you talk or how you do this, that and the other. We are not okay. We got to take that apostrophe out of there and stretch it out. We are not okay. (laughs) Jeez. Right. And many black faculty, I think, as you both have mentioned, are traumatized by the things that they are are going through. So there's a whole mental health piece to that Mm -hmm. that also needs to be, you know, talked about and taken care of. Yeah. And you start to think about things like post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And and one of the things that happens when someone has post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD is they tend to avoid situations that are similar to the trauma. So you're mm-hmm. you're you're at work, but how do you avoid those situations? Like so it means that maybe when everybody's saying, Oh, let's get together after work, you're like, Oh no, I'm gonna go home. You know, like I've been around y'all for enough time for today. Yes. <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm done. I'm good. Um, you know, so many times and, and avoiding a situation is not gonna make it go away. No. And right. so we end up with these maladaptive coping strategies. We end up with these coping strategies, but they do help us maybe stay afloat for a little bit. Um, And so that's something that we bring up in the book. We talk about strategies that people are using that make people believe that they're fine, Mm -hmm. but really they're not. And so we, what we try to provide in the book are, are, you know, more healthy 
coping strategies, like intentional self-care, right? We need to focus on ourselves. We need to, and part of self-care is another thing that we talk about in the book, which is saying no. It's easier said than done. And I know that, especially when we talk about tenure, we talk about promotion. We know that all these boxes need to be checked in order for you to to move up that ladder. Um, And sometimes you do all that and you still don't get tenure. Or right. you still don't get promoted, right? So I know it's not, I know it's easier said than done, but saying no means a lot. And also letting mm-hmm. your supervisors, you know, let them know what's happening. Mm. I know it's really difficult to kind of share that because I do think that there is this stereotype of we're just so strong, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if we don't let someone know, then, then again, how, how will they know? If we don't tell you, then how will they know? So yeah, I think that there's another part of it where we do have we have to communicate as well. Now, if they don't do anything uh, do anything about it, that's something for us to then think about what our next move should be. No, but, I wholeheartedly. You know, at least I can say, well, I told you, I did tell you this was what was going on. Nope, I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I think uh, from what Antia expressed is definitely from a personal level, and what we can do as individuals or in these spaces to kind of be a little bit more okay be a little bit hopefully get to the point of happiness but i think you know we all do know that everything starts from the top so another thing that we do provide throughout the book is just looking at it from an institutional level like what can you guys be doing to make this more of a safe environment because everyone just wants to work in a space where they feel safe where they feel like they can be heard where they feel like they can be seen and when we look in when we look at institutions we look at you know, cross-cultural groups, uh, when you're people, there's there's a level of ignorance that, you know, people are afraid to say that they're ignorant, but it's just a fact, it's just an idea of just not knowing. That's and right. it's right. just, it's letting an institution open up those, uh, open up platforms that allow cross-cultural groups to meet with each other, uh, have have a African-American group, have a LGBT group, have an Asian-American group, have a disabled group, and allow everyone, regardless of their, um, whether they're black, white, male, female, regardless of their ethnicity or how they identify themselves, to be part of those groups, to engage with one another, to, to get a little bit more understanding. I know that there was, during the time of all the police shootings, um, we had the Breonna Taylors. There was there was a lot of silence that came from a lot of institutions that were predominantly white. And they just didn't know how to approach it. That's right. Whereas you have black and black and brown faculty or black and brown professionals that work in your institutions where it's almost like I'm looking for you to say something. Hmm. Right. I'm looking for you to, you know, help speak for me because, you know, you're we leave from the top and whatever you put into place kind of trickles down. So on top of what we can do individually, we also try and provide in the book what we can do institutionally because it's, it's great to do, to put those things up, to put the little signs in the lawn, to put those little bumper stickers right. on the back of your car. It's good to say, you know, I'm, I stand for black rights or I stand for gay rights or I stand for all these rights. But when it boils down to it, what are you actually doing? Words are great, but we want to make sure that from an institutional level, Black faculty, we need the support. What actions are you doing to provide them that support? Mm-hmm. Yes, you you all mentioned the importance of faculty being mentored, which I've mm-hmm. never heard suggested, which is an excellent idea. Are, are you all talking about something that is a structured program initiated by the university or an informal process amongst the faculty themselves? 
I would say we actually talk, we talk about both of the book, right? So sometimes mm -hmm. that's what keeps a person in higher ed. That's what allows them to progress um, and advance in higher ed is because they have found their own mentor. Mm -hmm. And usually it's someone else in higher ed who's in maybe a similar position that they would like to be in one day. And usually that means they had to seek out that person on their own. But then there's also a benefit or an advantage to having something structured at the institution. And that's part of that inclusion piece, right? And that's what's going to make me feel more comfortable to stay there. And that's the way to retain your faculty is if you actually have a structured program here that someone, someone has been assigned or somehow I'm able to connect with someone who is going to mentor me and beyond mentorship, um, sponsorship, mm -hmm. you know, mentorship, is, is, it's idea. great to have a mentor, right? It's great to have somebody to guide you, but you really want to have that sponsor. You really want to have that person who mentions mentions your name when you're not in the room. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's so that's that's that. even more important. So, you know, we so we we support both types of, of things. We, we support that informal, but we also support that structured program. Also, when you do when you have that structured program, I see that as an investment. This lets this lets me know this is how important it is to you for me to stay here and for me to advance. Right. So. Right. The book is uh, We're Not Okay. And uh, once again, uh, just a great conversation with the authors, Dr. Antia M. Allen and uh, Justin T. Stewart. Uh, the publication, what comes out uh, in, in, in the month of May? May yeah. 5th. And right around, right around the corner. And, de Mayo. and where, 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 where's all the places, <laughs> we get, where's all the places yes. our listeners can get the book? Oh, wow. It's at Barnes and Nobles, Walmart. It's on Amazon. Um, pretty much any place where books are sold, any website, you can find the book. All right. We're not OK. Black faculty experiences and higher education strategies. I think this uh, not only if you, uh, you you could be working in higher education or you could be working uh, for the cable company. I think it, it applies across the board and want to thank you all for really digging deep. And I'm sure uh, there's going to be some uh, positive uh, reaction that comes out of this. If, if, if nothing but us as uh, black people recognizing and then uh, uh, putting our own strategies into place, as they say. So thank you both again, uh, Dr. Antia and Justin. Thank you for joining us. We're not okay. Thank you. That's why we have thank Black you. Mental Matters. Thank you so much. Thank you.